Mindfulness Mode 206. You have the ability to just love yourself because you're beautiful. Like you're an incredible person. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You're listening to today's episode of Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks so much for joining us again today on Mindfulness Mode, Mindful Tribe. Last time, I talked with Michael O'Neill of the Solopreneur Hour podcast. He's an expert, an online entrepreneur expert, I would say. He's totally into racing cars. He loves listening to high quality audio and actually has a new podcast called Beginner Audiophile, which is about that very thing. He shared a story on the show last time of being bullied when he was a student and how he dealt with it. That was episode 205. So it kind of goes back to the fact that he grew up in Philly and he talks about that. Today, I've been lucky enough to interview a man who has, well, he's had wildly successful businesses, has gone down to nothing, and then built himself back up again. He's interviewed some of the world's most successful people on his show. His show is called Let Me Pick Your Brain, so check it out. It's a podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. I felt like we were totally on the same wavelength, and he has such deep, inner belief in mindfulness and the spiritual side of human beings. I'm sure you'll love my interview with the amazing Daniel Geffen. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm really excited today. I've got Daniel Geffen with me today. So Daniel, how are you doing? Woo-hoo! You are mindful. Are you mindful today, Daniel? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I think so, too. I think you are definitely in mindfulness mode. That's my impression, at least. So, Daniel, we're talking about mindfulness, and you've got so many aspects of mindfulness in your life. You you always tell lots of cool stories, but tell me, what would you say if I said to you, what does mindfulness mean to you in your life? Okay, good question. Um To me, I would say mindfulness is living and taking action in the present moment. And you know what? I want to give you a a great example. It happened today, just today. Please do. Just today, I had a really bad situation happen. And it hasn't happened. I mean, I, I run a podcast show, as you know, Bruce, right? Yes. And I've interviewed now over 74 people. Um including the smartest man alive and, you know, an FBI hostage leading negotiator and, you know, like the craziest billionaires, millionaires, icons, uh, musicians, right? Celebrities. There was one guy on my hit list that I've always wanted to interview. His name is Tom Billui from uh, Quest, Quest Nutrition. It's the second fastest growing company in the U.S., And he's just such an awesome guy. And I've been following him for about a year and a half now. I love what he does. And I finally got him on my show. It took months to get him on. And I finally got him on my show. And he was scheduled to come on my show today. Now, in my calendar, I had him at 6 o'clock p.m., my time, which is in Israel. And I've been sick the last week. I've been ill with some sort of stomach bug. 
and so I, my my head is still kind of like re- recovering from it. So for some reason, when I looked at my calendar this morning and I saw the calendar, I thought that I was interviewing him at eight o'clock instead of six o'clock. Now, normally for my show, I don't prepare for my show. I, I free flow. I like to have um, a mindfulness. Yeah, that I, I basically practice mindfulness while I'm interviewing people because I don't know I, what I'm going to ask them. I have no idea. I'm probably one of the only podcast hosts that go completely naked. Like I go completely script free. And it's great because if you listen to my show, you'll realize like it's all authentic. It's all very much in the moment, just asking questions that are just genuinely coming up right now. Anyway, I suddenly get a notification 10 minutes to six saying, you're interviewing Tom Billy in 10 minutes. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Right because one thing that I prepare and I prepare it well is the introduction. I always want to give like an A-class introduction to my guests. And the reason I do that is two reasons. Number one is it gives the guests that feeling of, oh, wow, this guy really researched into me, right? And it makes, they they take it much more seriously when when they've had an intro like that. And if those of you watching this or listening to this, if you listen to any of my recent podcast shows, you'll hear that that I put a lot into the introduction. And the second reason I do the introduction like that is because I find that it sets the tone. And so the rest of the show kind of just really flows because of the intro. So here I am, it's 10 minutes to six. I thought it's at eight o'clock. I thought I've got two hours to prepare an intro, which is fine. And now I've got 10 minutes to prepare an introduction for the guy that I've always wanted to have on my show. Right. And I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right. And so I start to panic and I send an email quickly to his PA saying, you know, Hey, can you, can, can I interview him in it? Can you give me an hour? Like, give me an hour. I'm really sorry. I've messed up. She sends me an email back saying, sorry, Tom is fully booked. There's nothing we can do. You know, can you still do it? And I'm just thinking, Oh God, what do I do? What do I do? So I jump on Skype and I call him up. And first of all, we had sound issues, which was like, it's, this has never happened. Like what's going on. Right. And for those and watching, I'm sure you've experienced this in business or in life where you've been, you've built up to this meeting or you've built up to this moment, right? In your life, in your career. And then all of a sudden, just things just start falling from the sky and you're like, what's going on? And so I'm sitting there and Tom is on the other end of the Skype. And finally we get the sound to work. And I said, Tom, I'm really sorry. I thought that I was supposed to interview you at eight o'clock and not six o'clock. And he said, Oh, that's okay. We could still, you know, I'm, I'm still happy to go ahead. And I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I just wing it and just go for it? Cause I can wing an interview, but the intro I'm not going to, or do I reschedule? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. My head was saying he's here, like just get him while you've got him. Don't yeah. lose and just go for it. And like, whatever. But my gut, something deep down inside of me, just this calmness just sort of said, Daniel, it's okay. You don't have to do it right now. Just reschedule the interview. You'll knock it out of the park. 
next time. But right now, it's just not the right time. And I said to him, I said, Tom, I'm really sorry to do this, but I just don't feel like it's the right, it's right to do it. I don't think, I don't think it's right to just rush in. I would like to reschedule. And he was completely okay with it. Oh, good. And that was, you know, and that was pretty much what happened. Um, but that for me is a good example of being in a situation of like, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And if you just sort of quieten down and just listen yes. to that, that little voice inside, which people call the gut, or you can call it the core or your insight, whatever you want to call it. But that voice is usually right. It's usually right. And I could tell you right now, sitting here, we're now about three hours away from the incident. I can honestly tell you, I'm so happy I made that decision. I'm so happy I didn't just go with it because I would have regretted it like a hundred percent. Well, and you know what? I think that's one of the things about you is that you have this ability to really, really sense what you should do, to sense what's right. At least from reading all about you, that's what I've discovered. And I want to share with Mindful Tribe a few of the amazing things Daniel Geffen has done. Daniel Geffen is an online entrepreneur who has had crazy successes. Like really crazy successes, but well, and I I have this this right here in front of me. He seemed to know what he wanted at the crucial times, which is what that story emphasizes. He just seemed to know what to do, how to hold out, or when to move on, or how to handle the situation. Yet he's also had some times in his life when he felt burnt out, he felt unsuccessful, but. Daniel truly knows how to connect with people and how to communicate. And these kinds of things have helped him, have boosted his business. He's, it's certainly made him an amazing podcast host with his, his awesome show, Let Me Pick Your Brain, which cool. is... Can I pick your brain? <laughs> can I pick your brain? Thank you. And it's awesome to have you here, Daniel. It really is. And so I'm looking forward to learning so much about you. But tell us about that tough time when you were, I know that you were in high school and then you kind of cut out of there maybe a bit early. Can you talk about that a little and tell us where you went from there? Well, high school was anything but mindful. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was jumping on tables and throw, throwing paper airplanes and making all sort of craziness in the classroom because I, I didn't fit in. I wasn't, I wasn't what you would consider a, a school, uh, you know, a, a good student. Um, and so I dropped out early mm-hmm. and um, I, I went into, I wanted to, I wanted to go into business and I ended up landing a six figure salary uh, when I was 23 years old. Um, I'll give you the very abridged version of my story. Um, and I'll take you to one point of the story, which I think is very apropos for, for this podcast show talking about mindfulness. Um, so I basically went from six figure salary at 23, newly married, um, had my first child, uh, living in California, driving a brand new car, living in a Spanish townhouse, you know, working in an office uh, on a high-rise, beautiful building overlooking the Hollywood sign. It was like the picture-perfect life. And then 2008 came around and basically smashed me down. And I was made redundant. I ended up working on commission-only positions, went broke, 
got a knock on the door from my landlady, Olga, who basically told me to leave and evicted me, my wife and my child. Moved in with my in-laws. That lasted three weeks because we were almost going to get divorced if I would have stayed there another day. So that was... (laughs) Moved back to London, worked for my dad in his grocery store for a year. That was extremely depressing. I hated every minute of it. Um, Started my own company, grew it, um, had numerous staff and uh, had an office, uh, hundreds of clients, everything was going great. And um, well, I say everything was going great on the outside, but on the inside, it wasn't going great. I was losing it because there were so many fires going out every day, whether it was a staff issue, a customer issue, equipment, whatever it is, I was basically putting out fires all day long. So I couldn't really grow the company. I couldn't make it profitable. Um, mm-hmm. I was too involved in the business. Um, the, the Basically, one day I get a call from my, my director, the director of the business, the person who I hired to run the business because I needed to to work on the businesses instead of in the business. And she called me up one day and she said, Daniel, I'm really sorry. I can't come into work. And I said, Oh, is everything okay? And she said, um, no, it's, it's really not. I, I almost committed suicide and I can't, I can't come back to work. I'm really sorry. Uh, I was just like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. that was it. And she, she just hung up the phone and that was it. Like I just lost my most valuable member of staff. Like she was the captain of the ship and I had no idea how to run the ship anymore. Like I had forgotten how to run my own business. Cause I, I trusted her to run it. Um, and on the same day I get a notice from the landlord of the office saying that they needed to, um, take, the office because they were selling the building. And so I had two weeks to vacate the office. So I had all this staff, all this equipment, hundreds of clients relying on us because we were answering calls. That's, that was the nature of the businesses. We were answering calls for companies. And so we couldn't be down. Like we couldn't have a down day that just, we lo- we would lose our clients, at, you know, potentially millions of, of, of pounds, dollars, whatever. It was like kind of the the last straw that that kind of was on the camel's back, and I I remember going home, and I went into my bedroom, sat on my bed, and I literally like had this internal nervous breakdown where I just gave up. I gave up on the business. I gave up, and I called up my business mentor Gavin, and I said, you know, Gavin, you you don't you don't know what happened today, and I started telling him about the receptionist, about my director, about the 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 uh, the office, and I went on and on for about twenty minutes, and then he just said, "Daniel, shut up." <laughs> I said, "Excuse excuse me, what?" <laughs> He's like, "Shut up, stop stop feeling sorry for yourself, get off your backside, and do something about it." Right? It was like, imagine. It was like a slap in the face. That's what it was like. It was like someone going, you know? Yeah. And he hangs, he hangs up the phone and I'm sitting down on my bed and I'm kind of thinking, whoa. But that slap in the face was exactly what I needed in that moment. Because in that moment, I needed to get out of the feeling sorry and feeling negative and giving up mindset. And I needed to just sort of get up. And I physically, I, I, I 
I got up and I went out and I went for a walk and I just said to myself, he's right. I've just got to think of a solution. And in that, in those moments where I kind of just got positive and just allowed, you know what it was? It was just letting go. It was letting go of everything and just being silent and allowing the answer to come. And the answer came and it was a crazy, it was a crazy solution, but it was the best solution. And the solution was basically to, to outsource my entire company to one of my competitors, which it sounds insane. Yeah. It sounds crazy. It sounds, but it worked, but it worked. And that was about, uh, five years ago. Um, and just to fast forward to today, um, the company runs itself. I have completely outsourced everything in the company. Um, I work on the business probably one hour a week. That's how much time I spend on that particular company. Uh, and it's, it just grew immensely. It was like, you know, I, 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 I can pretty much work anywhere I want in the world. And again, it all came because of that crisis, all because of that crisis. That's how it came about. And because I just kind of changed my mindset and just allowed myself to just be silent for a few minutes and just allow the answer to come, then that's, you know, it, it kind of just changed everything, you know? Well, and I think that's the key, allow. That's that's what they say with mindfulness, that you need to allow things. But it's sometimes really difficult for people to understand how to actually do that. How do you s sort of sit back and allow things to unfold? But you pulled it off and you said it was a mindset change that took place from that point on. So do you still notice that you can just allow things to happen, whereas you never used to be able to do that? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm, I'll give you a great example that happened recently. And I'm going to say this, um, this doesn't happen all the time. I wish it did. And I'm, work and I'm working on it, but this is a perfect example in my personal life. Mm -hmm. where being mindful changed everything. So the situation was I'm married. I have a wife of 10 years now. We just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. We have four beautiful children. I'm very blessed. And as you can imagine, for those of you watching or listening, marriage is tough. It's tough as tough can be. And having kids is really hard. And I was out one evening and I came back much later than I told my wife I was coming back. Mm -hmm. And it was way past bedtime and my wife was just not in the right frame of mind. She had a bad day, one of those days, right? The kids were still up. They were running around. The house was a wreck. I walked to the door and I know, I know inside I can I know what's on the other side of that door. I know that I didn't tell my wife I was going to be late. I know that she was going to be angry. I knew that the kids were still going to be up and they were going to be running around. And I knew there was just going to be chaos. Mm -hmm. And that the minute that I opened that door, I was going to get attacked. Mm -hmm. But knowing that gave me those few seconds to be able to take a deep breath. And I went... And I said to myself, 
inside, I said, whatever happens, I'm not going to react to the chaos. I'm not going to join the storm. I'm not going to be part of the storm. I'm going to, I'm just going to go with it. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't prepare anything. I didn't know. I just knew that I was going to trust myself to just handle it in the right way. I knock on the door. My wife opens the door and chaos just breaks out. Like my kids are tugging at this and things are being thrown around. And my wife's like, where were you? I don't understand. It's like 10 o'clock at night. The kids are still awake. I've been up all day. The dishes are still there. I, I you know, I had, right, where were you? I can't understand. I called you. Why didn't you answer? But every, just everything I imagined exactly like that. And I just looked at her dead in the eye. I was quiet for a second. She's screaming away. Then I turned around to my son, my older son, he's nine years old. And I said to him, I said, isn't your mother the best mother you can ever wish for? And he kind of looked at me and my wife was kind of in shock, like what? And I turned around to my wife and I said, you are absolutely incredible. No, sir, like you are really, you're incredible. I don't know what I would do without you. I really don't. Like the fact that you manage with four children and, and all the stuff that goes on in the house, like I just, I just, I'm so blessed and so grateful to have you as a wife. And she was just kind of like, just in complete shock. She, she didn't know what to say. And I, and I turned around to each of my children and I said, do you understand how amazing your mother is? Do you know what I... Do you know how I wish I had a mother like yours? And my wife just, you know, the, the body language changed, the, the facial expressions changed and her tone of voice just dropped. And then she just looked at me and smiled, this big smile. And she said, really? You really think that? And I said, absolutely. And she's like, oh, you're so sweet. And I said, for sure, like, let, me, let me just put the kids to bed and we'll talk. And, and I just took the kids. And by the way, the kids, the, the children, also went from running around and going crazy to just the whole house just calmed down. The whole house. Even the baby, like the, the eight-month-old baby who was crying, just calmed down. And I put the kids to bed in a, in a beautiful, mindful, just way. Because, you know, dad's out there, mom's out there. You know, when you have a hard day and you kind of just throw the kids into bed and you yell at them and you're like, oh, you're so annoying. Why do you make me crazy like this? And they throw them into bed. And always, always a couple of hours later when they're finally asleep, you walk into the bedroom and you look at them and your heart breaks because they're so innocent. Yeah. And you feel like a real bad person. Like you just feel like evil. Like, mm. why did I do that to them? 
And it's so, so, it's so much better when you just take that moment and you just kind of, bedtime is sacred. It really is. You are, what it does for children, I, 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 I don't know if they've done studies on this or not, but it's just common sense. The kids that grow up with a bedtime, forget everything else, forget everything else, but just bedtime. If bedtime was just this calm space of love and affection and attention, those kids are going to grow up to be incredible people as opposed to the ones that get tossed into bed and just thrown into bed and shouted at and just, because the last thing that your child in his conscious or her conscious mind, just before they fall asleep, what are the words they hear? What's the tone of voice? What's the interaction they have? And remember, they're going to sleep with those interactions. And so that was just a beautiful example of, of, for me, and it doesn't happen on a daily basis. I wish it did. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to work on that. But when it happens, so powerful. It's such a great story of mindfulness, a real story that we can really relate to, especially those of us who have children, that's for sure. But, you know, even in, in relationships with other people, whether it's at work or wherever it is, to be able to just stop and just change the way things normally would have gone down. That's mm, incredible. Yeah, yeah I mean, thanks for that. It really applies, I guess, in, in, in every aspect of life, in martial arts. You know, that, that, that they teach you in martial arts the power of the mind. Mm-hmm. Before you go into the different moves and the different positions and how to fight, most of the battle happens right over here. You know, if you watch, um, you listen to, I don't know, Mike Tyson, I know it's, it's, it's more of less a mindful type. But if you think about it, you know, you listen to people like Mike Tyson, there's a, a mind game that they play with each other. And as a martial artist like Bruce Lee, I have a friend, for example, who recently he was under attack. He was under attack and there was this, you know, couple of guys, nighttime, they, 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 he could tell that they were, they were up for trouble. They wanted trouble. And he just took a deep breath and he closed his eyes for a second. And then he looked at each one of them and he mentally spoke to them. He, he kind of like sent them a message of, let's not do this. But there was this raw confidence and this raw calmness in him that I feel like when when you're so calm and somebody else is angry and kind of like and the other person is just so calm it kind of throws them off like why is he so calm like I'm angry and I'm coming at this person and yet the other person the calmness is scary like why are you so calm and the same applies in business when you're you know, negotiating for a business deal or when you're going into an interview for a job. When you're calm and when you're kind of at your center, your confidence and your, and your true self and your authentic self just shines through. And you're way ahead of 98% of the people who are 
going through for that interview. Totally. Totally. You do a lot of traveling, I, I know, and you, at least you've done some traveling. Anyway, Daniel, where have you traveled to where you felt that that the people in general seem to embrace that kind of way of looking at life? They have that, that calmness. They have that groundedness. Is there a place? Um, I don't know. I, look, the thing is, I think it's... I don't know if it's so much a place. I think it really depends on on the person. And it's if you want to talk about sort of groups of people, you know, they say that you are your five, you know, average people you hang out with. Yes. So for me, one of the ways that I'm trying to work on being more mindful and more calm is by hanging around people who are more mindful and more calm. You know, if, if you want to, you know, make more money, generally, if you hang out with people who are making more money, you're going to learn through osmosis, you're going to learn from them and you're going to be more, you know, people who are more positive. If you hang out with people who are more positive, you're, you're more likely to be more positive. And it's the same the opposite way. If you hang out with people who are angry and negative, the chances are you're going to be more angry and negative. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know you hang around with some pretty cool people that you talk to on your podcast. Well, well, Bruce, you're one of them. (laughs) No, but that's an interesting way that we can choose who we're hanging around and we can learn from them, spend time with them, connect with them. And I agree with you. It really can make a huge difference. When you were a kid, you it sounds like you were a pretty unique kind of an individual. Can you tell us what you were like as a young child? Um, I was stubborn. I was egotistical. Uh, I was a brat. Um, I pretty much got whatever I wanted. And, you know, I, I was very persistent. And I like to have control. That's That was pretty much me as a kid. So... It's really interesting because, and people have told me this over the years, that I have calmed down. You know, as a kid, I was running around. My mother told me that she used to put me in some sort of like a harness, like, you know, one of these things that, you know, a leash, like imagine walking a dog, like she would have to have one of those on me because otherwise I would just run off into the middle of nowhere and she would have to run after me and... I didn't care. Like I would just be running around and, and I was, I was like, why? I was a wild kid. I mean, there's a video of me, uh, my, my younger brother, uh, who was sitting on, uh, a, his bike, his bike, not my bike, his bike. And I took a, a broom and I just whacked him off the bike, like just whacked him off the bike. Why? Cause I wanted the bike, my bike, no, it's not. It's, it's your younger brother. No, no, now it's mine. And I just, that's how I behaved in, in school. I would wreck the classroom. My goal in class was to drive the teacher completely and utterly crazy. And in my marriage, in my 
earlier years of marriage, we got into a lot of fights, a lot of fights, because it was all about being right over being happy. Uh, See, the thing is, it's interesting is that for some weird reason, people choose being right over being happy. And that was a lot of the years, the, the first, I would say at least six to seven years of my marriage, it was about me being right over me being happy. And, and I mean, my wife, honestly, I'm saying this seriously, my wife is absolutely incredible for sticking with me for this long. Hmm. Because I'm not an easy, I wasn't an easy guy and I work on myself to, to be calm. I was, I was never like this. Um, and you've changed and you've allowed yourself to accept things. And like you said earlier, to allow, and you know, what, what I wonder is what has given you this way, this ability to want to be so vulnerable? Because I would think that usually somebody that has those characteristics that you describe, they would not at the same time move into this place where they're just so vulnerable, but yet you seem so authentic. You just want to say it exactly the way it is and be totally vulnerable. Where did that come from? It came from seeing the ugliness of being fake, oh. being egotistical, being just just trying to, you know, put on a show. You know, I put on a show for, for, for many, many years. And you know what it is? It's, it's, it's the people I've interviewed on my show and the people that I connect with on social media. I noticed over the last couple of years that I, I naturally became, I, I was drawn and pulled towards the people who were more authentic and more real and genuine than the people who were putting on this show. And everybody, I believe, everybody has internally, like, I don't know what to call it, but I guess a, a meter, like it's like a signal. When somebody is being fake and somebody is being arrogant or somebody's trying to be someone they're not, we just get repelled. Yes. We, we just get pushed pushed away from them. It's yes. something inside that we, we feel it. And I'll tell you, like, I'm not going to mention names. I don't, yeah. it's not in my interest to, to no. mention all names. I've had people on my show who, and you know, I have big, big people on my show who are very well known. And I've had on a few occasions, people who were just so arrogant and so full of themselves that I, I just didn't feel comfortable talking to them. I, I really genuinely did not want to be connected to this person. Mm -hmm. With all the money that they have and all the fame and whatever it is, I just did not want to have a relationship with them. Some of the shows I even didn't even, I didn't publish. I didn't produce it because I just felt it wouldn't be right to publish it 
because of it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I've had people on my show like John Roman, Simcha Gluck, Steve Sims, uh, John Levy, um, Eric Kasaburi. I, I can keep going, but I'm saying I've had people on my show who, wow, like just wow. And I've kept in touch with them and they are just really, they've been for me a an example of how to be real and how to be genuine. And, you know, I'll tell you like this as well. Um, social media is full of fakers. Yes, it, it really is. It's so full of people trying to pretend to be something they're not. And it's draining. It's draining. You know, not being yourself is draining. And it's depressing. Because when when all of your so-called fans on Facebook or Twitter or, or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever it is, when when they are liking you, well, liking you, I say, in, but they're liking the person you're pretending to be, deep down inside when you go to bed at night, you feel terrible because you know that nobody really likes you for who you are. They just like the person you're pretending to be. You know, and just to give... I guess those listening some some practical examples of that. Um, Bruce, when it's your birthday, right? What happens? You go on Facebook and you get this mass amount of happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. It's like a bunch of people just going, happy birthday, happy birthday. None of it's really genuine, right? No. It just happens to be that a notification popped up on 300 people's Facebook, you know, uh, messages that morning and they just wrote, happy birthday, happy birthday. It's so fake. It's so, it's so unsentimental. It's so shallow. And I, I hated it. I hate it. And so what have I done differently? Very simple. I will not send a happy birthday message on someone's wall. I just won't do it. What I will do though is I'll go onto their profile and I will click a private message and I will click the video button and it takes me 10 seconds. I video my face and I don't care what my hair looks like or who, no, nobody cares about what you look like. They don't care. Guess why they don't care? Do you know why they don't care, Bruce? Because they care about themselves. They're so busy caring about themselves. That's right. That's it. They don't give. I've got braces. I have braces. I got braces. I'm 33 years old, Bruce. Okay. And I got braces. And the reason I got braces is because I need braces. My teeth aren't straight. And when I was younger, I was a rebel. And so I always pulled my braces out and I didn't do the whole procedure. And so I need braces because for health reasons, my dentist told me that if I don't get braces, I will lose my teeth in my 60s. Uh, if I straighten out my teeth, I will keep them, you know, until 100, 100, whatever. And I sure. thought, well, that's, that's a good investment. And when he told me that I needed to have them for two years, the first thing that came to my mind, Bruce, was, oh, no, how am I going to do Facebook Live videos? How am I going to do videos? I'm wearing braces. And then I realized nobody 
cares about your damn braces? They care about themselves. <laughs> yeah. I go onto Facebook, I go onto a person's profile when it's their birthday, I'll click on a message, I'll click on the video, and I will just do a genuine message saying, hi, Bruce, happy birthday. I really hope you have a wonderful day and a great year. I hope to see you soon. Boom. Send. I love that. And I learned that from you when you talked about it on one of your shows. And somebody, well, the last few days, it's been, you know, various people's birthdays. So I've done exactly that, you know, because I thought, you know, if I really know the person, I'm going to do that. If I don't really know the person, I'm not going to send anything because how phony is that? How unauthentic is that? <laughs> exactly. Now, that if pe people are always asking, what's the way to build a network? How do you network? And I've built a massive network. And the answer is it's got nothing to do with the numbers. It doesn't matter if you have 100,000 or 2 billion Instagram followers. It doesn't matter. What matters is how many of those people, if you were to call them up or if somebody was to say, hey, do you know Bruce Langford? They would say, yeah, he's a great guy. I love him. How many people would say that about, about you? In your, in your social media. Ask yourself that question. That's your network. Your network is the people who would go out of their way for you. Right. Not the people who are just like putting messages on your posts going, cool, hashtag truth. Like that's lame. <laughs> that's lame. Yeah. yeah. Freaking one liners. Like that's lame. Like that's not, yeah. they don't really care. Oh, wow. You got 56 likes. No one cares. Like, how hard is it to just click like? I mean, for crying out loud, it, that doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. If you want to do something meaningful, go onto the person's post when you see their post and it actually, you know, you, and you feel connected to it. Send them a message, comment without just cool or thumbs up. Send them like, hey, Bruce. I really love your post. I really resonated with this part of it, or I really, you know, relate to that or it's something, something meaningful. Like you, you don't go to a bar or go to a party and meet someone and, and, and they say, hi, how are you? And you're like, cool, thumbs up. Like, <laughs> you don't do that. You don't talk like that. The guy's talking and suddenly you're like, hashtag truth. <laughs> Stop talking like an idiot. Like social media is not Social media should be treated the same way you would treat people at a party or at or, or face to face. Like, what are you doing? Why, why are people becoming like robots all of a sudden? It's like when people get in their car. Do you notice how when you're driving, the, the most, the nicest lady, the nicest person could 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 be like you know really uh, um, you know uh, friendly and 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 great manners and suddenly she gets in her car she starts going nuts it starts flicking look out you know, road rage road rage <laughs> but we get into these like metal contraptions and suddenly we feel that nobody exists anymore and i right. feel like the same thing with social media we get on social media and we act like robots and it's just so that's the bad news but the good news the good news is that that means that all you need to do is do a few things differently and you will stand out from the rest. And the rest are about 95% of the people. 
And you could be the top, I mean, literally, you could become the top 5% in all of all of your connections. Think about all the connections you have right now on social media. You could become the top 5% of their connections, of every single one of their connections, just by being real. Wow. And that's it. Yes, absolutely. That's that's a good point. I want to ask you a question about bullying. Have you ever been bullied? I know you, you had that kind of a childhood. Have you ever been bullied? And if so, how could mindfulness have helped through that? Okay, so I was actually, yeah, I was bullied. Um, in high school, I was bullied emotionally. Um, so I had this big mole on my face. <laughs> I had a big mole and it had hair growing out of it as well. Uh, so as you can imagine, as a high school kid, uh, that's not fun, right? Because no. um, all the kids would point at it and make fun of it and call me spider face and all sorts of names. Um, I had sticking out teeth. So my teeth stuck out. They would call me goofy. Uh, when I actually got mm. braces, they, I, I was the first one to get braces in my year. Uh, I was made fun of for that. I was actually kept down a year because of my misbehavior. And also they, they said they didn't have room in the year above, but I don't know how true that is. Um, so happened to be that my younger brother is a year younger than me. And I ended up being kept down a year, which meant that I ended up being in the same year as my younger brother. And so people would ask us all the time, are you twins? And I would be like, no, I'm older than him. I'm a year older than him. And they would say, oh, so then you must be really dumb because you like got kept down a year. And right. so, yeah, I was, I was bullied. I mean, I remember walking into a new class once and um, there was a few seats available and uh, basically the teacher told me to sit down and, and everybody put, like something next to them. So I couldn't sit next to them. So that was kind yeah. of my, yeah, that was my, my, uh, my wonderful, beautiful high school experience. Wow. That's, that's horrible. That must've been so upsetting to, you know, you walk into a classroom, everybody puts their bag down, you can't sit down. What would you say to somebody today if they had dealt with that and they're just feeling depressed because of it? That's a really good question. Look, if my son was to come home and tell me that, I would probably say to him that, you know, there are people out there that will always try to put you down. Right. There will always be people that will just tear you apart. And it's not, it's not just going to be when you're young. It's going to be when you're older as well. True. But the thing is, is that you have the ability to not pay attention to them. You have the ability to just love yourself because you're beautiful. Like you're an incredible person and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And usually the ones that hurt other people are the ones that are hurting themselves. You, you know, that you should pity those people because, so if, true. you know, if they're, if they're trying to hurt you, they're trying to pull you down. 
the only reason that they'd be doing that is because they really are hurt. There's something wrong with them. You know, and I would also say that it's not just the outside voices that are going to try to tear you down, but it's also the, the internal voices. You're going to have voices in your head that are going to say, you're useless, you're pathetic, you're never going to make it. And I had those voices. In fact, I probably, you know what? I probably still do have those voices, but I just don't notice them anymore. Right. I've drowned them out so many times that I just don't notice. It's like those ads that pop up, you know, you know when you get yeah. ads? We're in a generation now that those ads, they don't even, we don't even notice them anymore. You no, got no. a website and an ad pops up, you kind of just move on. And so I would just say, do you know how those ads pop up and you kind of just swipe them away or you kind of just move to the net, you know, scroll away or you click X? Every mm-hmm. time you hear a voice, and I don't care if it's an, a voice coming from the outside or a voice coming from the inside, every time you hear that negative voice, just swipe it or click the X or just scroll down, just move on. It's, That's a good description. You know, those, those ads are going to keep coming. They're, never, they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. They're going to keep coming. Yeah. You know, when I do a podcast show and I've done, like I said, I've done over 73 podcast shows now. I still get nervous before I get on the show. I start getting butterflies in my stomach. And then, you know, the internal dialogue goes, what if you mess up? What if this, what if that? But I just kind of just, I just ignore them and I just keep going. I just keep moving. You know, action is very powerful. When you take action, then all of those thoughts just kind of just get, they just get drowned out. Yes. The action you take, the more those, those little noises just kind of just turn into nothing. That is very powerful. Thank you. Daniel, I have five quick answer questions. The first one is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? So I actually have a, I'm a religious, so I have a rabbi. I'm Jewish. Um, his name is Rabbi Gerzi, and he has taught me how to be okay within myself. It's taken him, you know, it's taken a while. We've worked together, uh, but he's the person that I that I look to and that I go to when I need to really, you know, tap into deep mindfulness. You've talked about emotions a bit, but how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Um, well, when when I'm in a mindfulness space, so my emotions are they are they're more um, they're calmer. It doesn't necessarily mindfulness doesn't necessarily take away an emotion, but it it kind of just it calms it down. It, it makes the emotion just a little bit more manageable. So a person could be really angry and you can get into a mindfulness place and it doesn't mean that anger is going to go away. Like you, you have a right to be angry sometimes. There's yes. reason to be angry, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between being angry and out of control and I'm just going to smash everything down and I'm going to break relationships and I'm going to regret things that I do. And then there's, I'm, I'm feeling angry and it's okay. Okay. 
Yeah. You talked about breathing when you were outside that door and you were going to walk through and find out what was happening with your family. But do you have a couple of words about how breathing is a part of your mindfulness? I mean, there's a few things I would say about that. Number one is scientifically, the more we breathe and and the deeper we breathe, the more oxygen we get, first of all, going through our blood and, and to our brain. And scientifically, that in itself biologically calms the body down. The body just, it's almost like... <clears throat> It's hard, it's impossible for the body not to calm down when you just breathe deeply and and slowly let it out. Like you just almost have to, the body just, it just kind of, it's like when you eat and eat and eat and eat, the body feels full, right? Mm -hmm. So when you breathe and breathe and breathe, the body just feels calm. So that's one thing. The other thing that breathing does, which is really good, is it gives you time to respond and reflect, so a lot of times I might be in a situation where I kind of just like the classical example would be the one I gave where I could have opened up the door to my house and just gone in and would have literally just headbutted the chaos. Like I would have just gone boom and I would have mm-hmm. been reactive. And if I would have become reactive, it would have been an argument. There would have been a fight and there's fight or flight. So it would have either been, me fighting my wife, fighting my kids, or me running away and just leaving the house and just deserting them because I just can't deal with it. Whereas instead of the the fight or the flight, I was able to create a space of time where I just became aware that I don't need to fight and I don't need to flight. I could just be in the moment and bring through my energy, everybody else into the moment with me and into my calm. In other words, you can either be pulled into someone else's chaos or you could pull them into your calm. One of, you, put it. one of you is going to pull the other. So you try to be the one to pull everybody else into your calm rather than getting pulled into everybody else's chaos. If you could recommend a book related to this topic, what would that be? Oh, there's a lot of good books out there. There are. Mm. Wow. Mm. I would say um, Richard Carlson is an obvious choice. Uh, There's Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and It's All Small Stuff. Have you heard of that book, Bruce? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Mm, So that's a really good one. And he's got a few other books as well. I don't remember on the top of my head. Um, But I would also, interesting, a book's coming to my head now by Viktor Frankl, The Man's Search for Meaning. Because Viktor Frankl's book is a story about how he went through hell on earth, literally hell on earth, you know. Starvation, beatings, like, just the worst. I mean, I don't believe there's anyone in this generation that can truly understand what people like Viktor Frankl and the people in the Holocaust went through, 
we we just don't know what it means. No. No, and no. yet he was somehow able to live through it all. And I believe at the root of it was the aspect of mindfulness. Read the book and you'll see what I mean. It's it's a powerful, powerful, amazing book. That's for sure. Can you share an app which in some way or another helps you be more mindful? Sometimes people will tell me about a productivity app or sometimes it's something that's, that's strictly a mindfulness thing. I'm laughing. You know why I'm laughing? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Switch off the damn phone. That's yeah, I know. The damn phone. I'm serious. I'm being serious. Yes, I know. Deadly serious. Deadly serious. Next time you're out on a date, switch off the phone. Next time you're you're with your kid, you're with your child on 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 a, you know, going to the switch off the phone. Like next time you're in a business meeting, switch off the phone. That's the app. The app is called Switch It Off. That's the app. Love it. I love it. I love it, Daniel. Daniel, how can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and possibly connect with you? Well, first of all, I'd love for any of you guys listening or watching to connect with me. Um, I'd love for you to come into my space and I'd love to come into your space. So uh, the first thing you could do is you can go on to danielgeffen.com. It's one F. So danielgeffen.com. On there, you can hear my podcast shows. And the other way is you can uh, follow me on Facebook, which is Daniel Geffen. So just type in Daniel Geffen on Facebook. And I'm the goofy looking guy with that cheesy grin in front of the microphone like this one. Um, And uh, just add me there. Uh, You could follow me on Instagram, which is at IPICBrains. Um, you can also listen to my podcast show, which is on iTunes. If you type into iTunes, can I pick your brain? That's my podcast show. And lastly, one other way is I'm happy for you guys to email me. Um, and that is Daniel at Daniel All right. Great. Can I pick your brain? I feel like I already have picked your brain quite a bit. What a already picked. (laughs) (laughs) What a great time it's been talking with you, Daniel. And thank you for sharing so much, so much from the bottom of your heart, just who you really are and what makes you tick. And we can all learn from that. So I appreciate it so much. Well, it's absolute pleasure and a real honor to come onto the show, Bruce. Thank you for having me and thank you for for introducing me to all of your followers and listeners and fans. My pleasure. Daniel, have a terrific rest of your day. Thanks again for sharing. Thank you, you too, Bruce. Yeah, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.